Welcome to Level with Emily Reese. This is music by T.K. Furukawa from The Last Guardian, which came out in early December last year. T.K. worked with the London Symphony Orchestra, the Trinity Boys Choir, and the London Voices to record the music in London. The soundtrack is now up on iTunes, and it is well worth a listen if you haven't already played the game. TK and I talk about his influences a bit later, and you'll get to hear a snippet of a piece by Estonian composer Arvo Pert right after TK mentions that name. Uh, the name of the piece is Fratres, which means brothers. Fratres is spelled F-R-A-T-R-E-S, and we've got links to that stuff in the article on Patreon. TK also worked on a couple of great TV shows. He orchestrated music for Star Trek Enterprise, which I love, and worked on the Star Wars Clone Wars film and TV show. But other than the music by Arvo Pert, everything you'll hear in this episode comes from The Last Guardian. The Last Guardian, as you can tell, it's a fantasy adventure game which centers around a boy which uh, when you start the game you're kind of lost in the environment and uh, sense of place and time you don't know why you're there but um, immediately you find this mythical big beast right next to you and the game is about figuring out why you're there and trying to get out of there mm-hmm. but also forming a bond and a companionship with this beast which you can't really communicate with and I think um, the game and the director did a wonderful job just telling that story through visuals and you know hopefully I was able to contribute a little with the music as well. inspiration was obviously as you mentioned it's just the art style and the visuals i think being a, a composer for media you know films tv and video games it's actually kind of safe to say that i i need that visual in front of me to write hmm. and that usually serves as inspiration and also just as an anchoring point you know it gives you certain parameters that you have to work with so it makes my life easier as a composer and almost um it's kind of necessary to have that frame of reference. So uh, going back to your question, um, needless to say, it's the visuals, the style. There's so much information you can get from just looking at what's on screen, like, you know, the color palette, the lighting, how soft it is, and the pacing of the game, which all translates to how music needs to be written in order to accompany something of the sort. Let's go ahead and talk about working with the orchestras and the and the ensembles you got to work with because this is something that isn't foreign to you. You've been working with orchestral music and orchestras for your career and I'd love to know what it was like to work with the London Symphony Orchestra first off. Well, it was an absolute privilege. I mean, it's, <laughs> uh, they're one of the preeminent if not in my book they are the best orchestra in the world. Yeah. That's that's my humble opinion. Sure. So when we 
first started to kind of plan the recording session, which usually comes towards the later stages, you know, I kind of took a long shot and there was a part of me thinking they would never swing for this. They as in Sony and my producers, but um, to my pleasant surprise and amazement, they, they made it happen. And you know, I think as a composer, you really can't ask for anything better. It's, it's a dream come true for any composer, I think. such amazing players. So it was your idea. You you were the one who said, can we record with the LSO? Uh, yes, <laughs> which kind of spun off from kind of our thought process. Um, for The Last Guardian, musically, it's not very complex. So from the very initial point, we made it a point to try to keep essentially what we are saying musically simple as possible. But what was more important was of how it's said, uh, if that kind of makes sense. So in, in this case, um, having an orchestra like the LSO, where they have a certain nuance and they have idiosyncratic way of interpretation of musical phrasings and whatnot, and that was important to get an orchestra which plays together, you know, like 300 days out of the year, because they do develop a certain language and like a nuance to their playing, which in contrast to a studio band, like a studio assembled recording orchestra, which which is great too. But um, for The Last Guardian, we were going for that more colored performance per se. Yes. And tell me more about the simplicity of the music. It's such a, uh, in my opinion, complicated word to use to describe music, because even though it is simple quote unquote it's what you're what you're doing is still really complicated so uh so i always am careful with that word but there is this lovely maybe innocence or some i guess simplicity to it i think what we needed to do with the game which is also needless to say reflected in the visual style as well was to not bombard the players with an abundance of information and the same thing went with the music, where we needed to make sure that what was being said musically was very concise. And Widasan and I, we talk about other things, things other than music often to kind of communicate to each other what we were thinking. Because, um, you know, he comes from a very visual world and I come from the oral. And one of the conversations we had is it's kind of like um, we had a mutual Point where I think we were talking about fashion, where we kind of wanted this to be like the little black dress of, of music, where it's simple and easy to digest in terms of just like looking at it. But mm -hmm. when you actually open the hood and look underneath it, everything's tailored very meticulously or um, attention to detail is there. And also, you know, like the quality of fabric, um, which is, I guess, you know, like the LSO is kind of like the quality of fabric in this analogy, where they bring a certain gravitas to the whole end product. So I'm glad that you picked up on it because musically, we didn't want to be verbose and say too much, but um, again, trying to say less, but uh, infusing a certain air of quality into what was being said was more important.
Talk to me about writing all these little solos. It's so beautiful to hear all these solo woodwinds in the music. It came very naturally. It wasn't a conscious decision. I think when we started looking at the visuals, some kind of the color palette, perhaps, you know, like almost like a quasi-impressionism vibe is given from the visuals. So naturally, that equated to the use of solo woodwinds in my mind, especially the oboe. I actually told the oboe player, um, I think when I started this project, the LSO principal oboe seat was vacant, actually. Oh, wow. And... Halfway through, you know, I was always kind of toying with writing an oboe solo and utilizing the oboe as a preeminent color in the score. And about halfway through the project, the chair got filled by this wonderful gentleman. Uh, his name is Olivier Stankiewicz, I believe. Mm-hmm. I Googled him and saw his performance on YouTube, and it was just mesmerizing. And I told the director, you know, we have to utilize the oboe for this because this mm-hmm. player is so great. So the clarinetist uh, Andrew Mariner, he's wonderful. Gareth Davies on flute, he's wonderful as well. The players in the orchestra are of soloist caliber, uh, needless to say, so it was a no-brainer writing for you know individual woodwinds. have a particular affection for oboe? What what drew you to that for this project? I think it was just the tonality of, or the timbral tonality of the oboe seemed to fit. You know, it's very poignant. There's something of a sense of yearning in, in the tone of the oboe. It's kind of ineffable, kind of hard to put into words, but I think, yeah, it was just a natural inclination towards that. How about the piano? That slips in from time to time as well. Yes. So I studied the piano. That's the instrument, one of the instruments I grew up on. And the timbral colors, again, it seemed to match the visuals. So mm-hmm. I think you're getting a sense that, you know, when I'm doing these, um, I don't like to think about things too academically or overcomplicate the thought process. So yeah. a lot of these decisions, they were unconscious, unbiased decisions that just kind of came very naturally. At what point were you brought on to score the game? I was brought on to score the game around five years, nearing on six now. I believe it was around 2011. So video games, they're developed by uh, stages. They do a thing called taking a vertical slice where they cut out a section of the game and essentially build that up to near completion. And they need to do that for a number of reasons. But one of them is to just to make sure that the game works and also to almost like establish a template to extrapolate the rest of the game from. Mm -hmm. So for The Last Guardian, the vertical slice they were working on is the Falling Bridge stage, which was used as one of the E3 demos, I believe, around two years ago. And when they had finished that stage to near completion, that's when I believe they started to think about music. And initially it was an audition process. I think um, there was either like three or four other composers that were considered and they called for a demo, I submitted, and I think um, 
Uberasan heard something in my music. It seems like that uh, I might have struck a chord with him. So that's that's why I was brought on board. A few weeks ago, you were part of an event with the American Youth Symphony, and they played a suite of your music from The Last Guardian. So it must be much different, I would imagine, to be sitting in the audience and hearing it played from stage rather than being in the recording sessions and hearing it, it played that way. So what was that experience like? First of all, it was wonderful. The American Youth Symphony is one of the, I guess, greatest um, you know, youth orchestras in the country. And it was amazing. Don't let the word youth symphony fool you because they are a professional level ensemble. The difference, you know, between conducting your music yourself and essentially relinquishing that control and handing it off to another conductor rather and an ensemble. It's great. Um, It was the first time for me to have such a privilege of my piece being played by an orchestra like that. Mm -hmm. And there were a lot of pleasant surprises where, you know, the music kind of takes on a life of itself once it gets passed down to uh, another conductor and they interpret your piece a different way, which um, is eye-opening because, you know, you start thinking like, wow, that's wonderful. I wish I had thought of that. I would have never crossed my mind to do it that way. some of your favorite moments through the whole process of working with The Last Guardian? That's a hard question. Um, <laughs> honestly, I enjoyed every moment of it. Of course, there's um, you know some grueling times where you're up against the deadline or you're kind of banging your head against the wall because you know nothing's coming uh, musically. Overall, you know, I think that the team, the dynamics of the interpersonal relationship over with the people at Sony in Japan and Ueda-san's team, and especially my audio director, uh, Tsubasa Ito-san. He was great. They're very creatively nurturing, and there wasn't any uh, political BS, which sometimes <laughs> comes up on a game this big, but uh, mm-hmm. nothing of the sort with The Last Guardian. I mean, it was an absolute pleasure and privilege working on it every moment. Uh, one of the things I, I neglected to bring up earlier in the conversation was that whole, the whole relationship between the boy, who never does have a name, and the creature, Trico. And I'm curious, you know, I regretfully haven't played the game, but I did watch quite a bit of walkthrough just to kind of understand the pacing myself and to see how you fit into the whole process. And I'm curious if there was ever pressure to score that relationship we weeded that out very early on Mm -hmm. where everyone especially Ueda-san was in agreement that we were afraid that if we started doing that it would become almost like an emotional mickey mousing where you know the app term um, it's essentially when you're scoring everything that you see visually or you can you can tell visually with music so 
because of that relationship between the boy and Trico was strong enough and clear enough, I guess, because of the way Ueda-san had directed the game and wonderfully told it, it was unnecessary for the music to reiterate what was going on there. Mm-hmm. And instead, you know, we tried to be as inobtrusive and uninvasive as possible. And just, again, uh, it had to be a natural fit to the whole picture. Mm-hmm. So it couldn't have felt like, you know, we were trying to push a square peg into a round hole. And if we became verbose with the music, we were afraid it would become that way. You are also a student of the art of classical music in that you're working on an album of chamber works. Is that correct? Uh, Yes, I am. It's always been a project that's been going on for quite a while now, actually. And I go on it on and off, almost working on it in between these projects. Mm -hmm. And the concept of it was I wanted to kind of do my take on pictures of an exhibition where, you know, I come across these visuals on the internet so you know we don't have to go to a museum these days to see wonderful pictures and it could be like a photo it could be it could pretty much be anything but there are a couple of pieces where which struck me very visually on the web so i would try to write music to complement that and it's been a slow progress but um, mm-hmm. at the end i hope to have you know like maybe like 10 pieces or so of i guess my take on uh, pictures at an exhibition Nice. Uh, quartet, quintet, chamber orchestra, what, what kind of uh, ensemble are you writing for? Um, I've been writing for piano and strings. Oh, nice. I, I want to nice. keep this open-ended, so it doesn't have to stick to that um, uh, ensemble or instrumentation. You know, Things might change, and who knows if it will ever actually see the light of day, but uh, <laughs> it's been an ongoing process. Well, let's hope that, that it does. <laughs> I'd love to talk about the classical composers that you've appreciated. I know from the American Youth Symphony concert that you're a Stravinsky fan, but I'm curious if there are contemporary living composers you listen to or what that's like for you. Within the contemporary realm, composers, I know a lot of people, everyone's favorite almost, actually, but um, like Pert, Arvo Pert. Steve Reich, some of uh, a lot of the minimalists I'm drawn to, and I think I'm, I'm what I pick up on those composers is the simplicity in their piece. Mm-hmm. Where, <laughs> well, actually, I would hardly say their pieces are simple because you know they're mm-hmm. so sophisticated and brilliant. But mm-hmm. um, it's the clarity, rather, that um, you could tell what they're trying to do musically, mm-hmm. and I think it's just when music is presented in a clearer fashion, there's uh, more emotion that gets uh, communicated to the listener. So uh, with The Last Guardian, too, that's why we tried to keep it simple, as I previously mentioned, where we couldn't make it complex because we would run the risk of not being able to emotionally connect with the audience. And composers like Parrot, especially, you listen to his piece, and again, under the hood, it's very sophisticated, but it's relatively easy to digest and appreciate because his message is so clear. 
Yeah, I mean, a lot of times, you know, depending on the minimalist composer, sometimes I think when I listen to it, the things that affect me are the motion of it mm-hmm. when when a chord will change. Because sometimes you wait a while for those things to happen in a minimalist piece. And sometimes you don't at all. Sometimes the minimalism is is approached in a different way than just the harmonic progression and, and such. But um, But it does open your ears to just a completely different way of thinking about and hearing music. And and I love it. I love where it takes me. Yes, you're absolutely right. You know, one of the strong or the interesting parts about minimalist music is, again, the way you just uh, so eloquently put the way the audience starts to hear music, where once things get very repetitive, Mm -hmm. it progresses and develops on a longer arc, you have this new element come in and your ear immediately picks up on it. And it indeed really is a different way of hearing music and appreciating development where, you know, you don't have to have like a theme and variation or it doesn't have to be, music doesn't have to be developed in say like a traditional sonata structure where, um, you know, you have like the exposition and the development and the recap. I guess that's another reason why I like minimalism. bit about working on Star Trek Enterprise. Sure, that was um, actually my first professional assignment out of college. Nice. And I wasn't the composer on it. Right. I was actually uh, hired as an assistant to composer Kevin Kiner. Mm-hmm. And when he was working on the show with Dennis McCarthy, who was the series' senior composer, I th- believe Dennis had been working on Star Trek since as far back as uh, The Next Generation. My job when I started working for Kevin initially was obviously, you know, kind of taking care of whatever he needed. Every week he would write on the piano and pass me the scores and I would get to extrapolate it into the orchestra. So it was kind of like a crash course in orchestration. And um, it was a tremendous learning experience. I mean, you know, not many people get a chance to work with First of all, these top players in Hollywood, but yeah. also see your you know, orchestrations performed, recorded, and then inevitably, you know, I made a lot of mistakes initially, mm-hmm. and you get to learn from it by seeing how things translated to in the booth and the recording stage, and what to do, what not to do. So it was again um, an absolute incredible experience. Wow! And then you were also on Star Wars Clone Wars, right? Uh, that is correct. Yeah. I was orchestrator on the film as well, and that eventually evolved into additional composing. So I was an additional music composer on the TV series, which was a nice. spin-off of the film. TK, you are just a superstar. You've done some really amazing things and written some really beautiful music. I'd, I'd love to ask you if there's anything you want to add or that you wish I would have asked you about any of this. Uh, no, it's uh, been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, well, thank you for all of this. It's been, it's been really nice to get to know you and hear your music. 
You can learn more about TK Furukawa and see a full playlist from this episode at patreon.com slash level. Thank you for listening to episode 62 of Level with Emily Reese. I am Emily Reese. Sam Keenan is our producer. Say hi, Sam. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Level with Emily. Level with Emily Reese is a production of June Media, Inc. Learn more at june-media.com. And remember, June is J-O-O-N.